Welcome to TMD on the record. This is a podcast where we talk about the relationship between brands and customers. We take a look at some of the challenges facing organizations as they work to understand a more empowered customer and the empowered customers that expect and demand more from the brands they choose to be loyal to. Hello, welcome to TMD on the record. I'm your host, Mike Grant. I'm here with my fellow hosts, Dave Cleish. Hey, everybody. And Jeff Timmons. Hey, everybody. Thanks for being here and listening to us. Yeah, thanks all two of you. Um, you know, I couldn't be more excited about today's guest. She's someone who I have all the time in the world for. Uh, she's an absolute juggernaut in the fitness industry, an award-winning fitness instructor and program director, 1996 Canadian Presenter's Choice Award winner, 1996 Body Life Educator of the Year, 98 Idea Program Director of the Year, 2002 BodyWise International Personal Achievement Award winner, 2006 Idea, I can just keep going on, all the way down to 2020, 2017 to 2020 Top 20 Canadian Optimized Health and Wellness Influencer, has been listed in the Top 100 Health Influencer list since 2019, a published author that's written seven books, including Shine, Inspirational Stories of Choosing Success Over Adversity, Influence, Women Inspiring Change, Think Yourself Successful, and others. She spent almost 30 years helping guide Good Life Fitness to success as Vice President of Operations, Innovation, and Fitness Development. She's now Chief Operating Officer at CanFit Pro, and she still finds the time to do group fitness instruction for Good Life Fitness. Of course, I'm talking about none other than Miss Maureen Hagen. Mo, welcome to the show. Thank you. Boy, did you ever do your homework? Yes, absolutely. I've been scouring the internet. <laughs> well, yeah. it's great to be with you all. Was that from the Wikipedia page? You got all that? <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> is that where you got that? Is real. That's where I got. <laughs> As you were saying it all, I felt like I should stand up. I mean, there's... Wow. There's, yeah, there's a lot to say there. Incredible. What's yeah. next? Yeah. Oh, I have plans. <laughs> awesome. So... You know, Mo, I'm so glad that you're here. Let me take you back, I'd say maybe 11 or 12 years ago to how I met you and, and how, realistically, how I fell in love with you. Oh. Uh, probably 11, 12 years ago, I was pushing about 250 pounds and not, not in a good way, not in the like solid, all muscle kind of way, more in the squishy kind of buying your first pair of 38-inch wasted pants kind of way. I knew I needed to do something. I started doing a little workout at home. And then my good friend, another women in, woman in fitness who's inspired me, my friend Kylie Young, hi Kai, helped encourage me to sign up to Good Life Fitness. Uh, she went every day at lunch, and I was like, wow, you know, I'd, I'd often be sitting, eating my cheeseburger at, at JD's here downtown, and she'd be walking by, and I'd wave, and I'd be like, you want to come in and have a beer? Nope, on the way to the gym. So she convinced me to join, and she said, I'm going to take you to this group fitness class. There's this girl there named Mo, and she will absolutely kick your ass. So I thought, sure, I'll give it a go. So I went into this group fitness class and I was nervous and I was self-conscious and I wasn't really sure what to expect. I think you were teaching uh, Jillian Michaels body shred at the time. And uh, I was like, okay, 30 minutes, I can make it through 30 minutes. And you got started and I was huffing and puffing and sweating and I thought, good Lord, this has to be almost over. And I looked up and I think it was about seven minutes in. <laughs> That was and the warm-up. We haven't even started yet, Mike. It was one of the most humbling experiences of my life, but the energy that you brought to it, I, I went back the next time, and I went back the next time. And fast forward, you know, 12 years, I'm still on my fitness journey, but what, a, what an absolute inspiration that you've been to me and so many others. So I'm so happy that you're here. I'm really excited oh, to talk. Thank you. And 
those stories, that's what makes my heart just pound and remind me why I'm doing what I do every day. And thank you for coming back. Thank you for trusting the journey and, you know, the power of a referral and then the responsibility that we take as fitness professionals to help you along. But really, it's, you, yeah. did all, you did all the work. We just provided you with the experience. And right. it sounds like it was a really good first experience. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I hated it. I got to ask you, though, did you take your cheeseburger from JD's with you? <laughs> like, was that in it to go? But no, in, in, all, in all seriousness, being able to take that first step to go there and be a part of it, that's kind of the hardest part, and uh, which is a testament. So, um, And I love the fact that you both talked, like you both said it was a journey, right? Mm-hmm. So I totally relate to that. Um, I think all of us are on our own journeys and we're at different stages. And sometimes we come back to the same stage we were at a little while ago if we, if we fall off the wagon. But I love the way that, that both of you said that, that it was a journey which to me just implies like it's one that hopefully if you do it well, you never get to the end. Yeah, there's no finish line. There's no finish line. And I just, I love that concept and the journey's harder at certain points. It's it's different at certain points. It has different challenges. I think we're going to talk about some of those today, but I just, that's a great story, Mike. Thanks for sharing that. Well, and I think this, you know, the fit today for this, for, for what we're talking about is really about experience and journey. And you're talking about an experience in a class, a fitness class, but we're also talking about just the journey that brands have with consumers and the experiences you create and, and how Dave just mentioned, like, if you do it right, and if a brand does it right, that journey doesn't end. People come back. And if, you know, that's, that's you know, what the fitness industry is, you know, is predicated on and whether it's there or whether it needs to get there, I think that's kind of what we want to try and unpack mm-hmm. today and pick the mind, pick your mind a little bit and, and help understand, you know, what's that mean coming coming down the road? So. All right, cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, of course, I'm sure in your, in your history you've never had to deal with a pandemic before, but it's not the first challenge that you've had to overcome in, in your esteemed not the first, career. Not at all. And they're all challenges, and one does shape you for the next. However, this is a one of a kind for right. the entire world and really left us uh, blindsided. Yet resilience is, you know, I think we spoke about this pre-show about the, that new muscle everyone has had to find mm-hmm. and develop. Mm-hmm. Because uh, wh- I, I can remember challenges as um, my upbringing in the fitness industry, proud to say that 30 of, well, 38 of my now years at Good Life um, 30 in a leadership role, 38 altogether, but um, a number of challenges, and they've all provided me with incredible learning and experiences that you never forget. And it's what you choose to do and how you choose to show up and what you mm-hmm. make of it. And I'm not saying that there wasn't a lot of um, sleepless nights and tearless day- tearful days and challenging days where you had no idea what you were doing. However, what I've learned now is that no one knew or knows what to do during this time. So it actually puts you all in an even playing field, which really humbled you to realize that um, you could do it and anything's possible because we're actually rewriting Mm -hmm. an industry and we're rewriting life for many people. Well, I I spend my entire life not knowing what I'm doing. So it's... Hey, guess what? You don't need to know what the heck you're doing. (laughs) That's right. You just need to know why you're doing it. 
That's why so, we're here. That's why we're here. Ah. So before we get into it, I want to know a little bit. So, you know, I've got questions. I want to talk a little bit about marketing and how that's, you know, influenced fitness and vice versa. But tell me 38 years ago, why did you decide to get into fitness? What, what motivated you? Well, the motivation started back, uh, really, as a elementary school kid who wanted to make the team, any athletic team, so I could be in the in-group. And that extended into high school. And, of course, every team I tried out for, with the exception of cheerleading and long-distance running, which you didn't really feel like you were a part of a team because you ran by yourself. Other than that, I was cut from every team I tried out for because I wasn't the fastest, the strongest, the most talented So I learned very quickly the importance of moving your body to become stronger and to become faster and whatever was required for that particular team. And it was the great mentorship of teachers, starting with my mother, but really I give credit to my high school teacher in particular in high school. And she said to me one day when I was probably complaining about being cut from the team that she cut me from. Um, She said, it's not whether you make the team that is a definition of success. It's what you learn about yourself. That is success. And she taught me fitness. I never knew really what running was about or push-ups or sit-ups until I had to do them. And then I decided that I was going to do any career that allowed me to teach exercise, but there were parameters. I needed to be able to travel the world, make great money, and lead, lead the profession. And I was told many times that that wasn't possible and I should settle for less. So I didn't settle for less. I just sort of put my dream on hold for what I thought was indefinitely. And I did pursue physical health education here at Western. And then during my hiatus, my year off between degrees, I did eventually go back for physiotherapy. It was that year that was pivotal because I decided to get a job in my field of health education and worked in a fitness club in Oakville, the Toronto Women's Club back then. It was the first really chain of fitness clubs privately owned. And that just inspired me to do fitness on all levels, teach it, and also do what was called one-on-one training. It wasn't called personal training back in the 80s. And I loved every moment of it, except the fact that I didn't ever see it as a career. Mm-hmm. So I went back to school and pursued physiotherapy, which I absolutely love. I'm still licensed to practice today. I use it as brand and marketing mm-hmm. for myself, but um, I really loved helping to create exercise programs and plans for others to help them become healthier, happier, and fitter versions of themselves, like move people forward. And not just physically, but emotionally and tie it right into their professional, personal development. I guess I could say that. Help them become the person that they boldly dream of becoming and help them pursue what it is that they want. Or maybe that they don't even know yet. And they yet. don't like, even know. You know, Mike discovering that. In the gym. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's that's one of the things that I think is so powerful about the the physical and the, the mental or slash wellness side of of, uh, of this industry that yeah. still needs to really be unlocked. Oh, the potential. And if there's silver linings from this pandemic, one of them for sure is the wellness aspect of fitness or the wellness aspect of health. And we've really be able to expand what truly health means when you tap into that emotional and spiritual and, and psychological aspects. It's far beyond the physical, and that's one thing that we've discovered 
not only ourselves as fitness professionals to offer because we needed to become relevant during this time that people wanted to just hang out with us because we gave them energy, not because we made them sweat or, you know, work hard, but it was just to feel that sense of someone telling them you're okay and you're getting better or you're getting stronger, just keep moving. So that part has really revealed itself and that's what's helped reimagine the fitness professionals' career opportunities. So that's so rewarding and there's a a blank um, sort of manifest or I guess you could call it manuscript to still write the story that's yet to be told about what's going to happen. Can I ask you one quick question on that? Does that, um, I'm going to call it expansion of the, the fitness industry, does that open it up to become more than a, a young, muscular, athletic person's industry? Like, is that uh, an opportunity from a brand and a marketing perspective? Absolutely. What will help shape that and make it appear possible is the people we put out there as the leaders that portray that. And I'm one of them. I mean, I used to think I attract the older adult, the 50 plus, and I realized, well, there's nothing wrong with that because that's who I am. Uh, But it is possible. We just have to attract a more diversified leader to be that familiar face, to look like the person that wants to come to the gym. They want to be able to relate. So absolutely, we do need... Um, we do need, we recognize that we do have to create it and it's, um, one fitness professional at a time, Mm -hmm. one new program at a time and the boldness to put it out there and be different. I think there's a great opportunity for like the mass public to start to wrap their head around that it's accessible and available to everyone. Like just the, the term fit always used to sort of portray this, you know, super cut individual fit can run marathons on their hands and just had this persona about them. And what you're, you know, you're all just talking about now is the concept of fit really is, it's a state of mind, it's a state of spirit. Yes, it's a state of body, but everybody's state of body is different. All bodies. Finding fit for every individual it's that journey that you talked about. Like you found your version of fit and, and luckily for all the rest of us who have come to care about you, you're still finding it as you go. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a great opportunity for not only every individual to be grabbed, like pulled towards that, but then it's a great opportunity for everybody that's important to that individual or cares about that individual to celebrate and rally around them because really that's, that's everybody's, you know, ability now to give that back Absolutely. around them. That has so many other ramifications than just, sweating and lifting weights. It's a whole lifestyle. And if I could add to that, create the opportunity to lift them up, to tell their story. Mike, your story is powerful. I mean, I've known you as long as I have, Mm -hmm. Wednesday, 12.15 in the gym. Right, that's right. But to tell that story, you would inspire so many other, one, guys to come into the group fitness space, Mm -hmm. two, to do a half hour class and know that you can, no matter where you're starting. And that, you know, Everyone has the opportunity to succeed, to get more of the mics into that, um, in, you know, conversation and no, not to mention, you know, promote the fitness career for the mics right, and the yeah, mollies absolutely. and the others and welcome all bodies, all demographics. Mm-hmm. We have to do that and do it much better. And that's another reality of the last mm-hmm. 
18 months has been the whole diversity, inclusion, equality piece. Yeah. Might not so, be good for the cheeseburger industry, but it's, <laughs> it's certainly good for everybody well, else. Well, I don't know. Yeah. You might just have the cheeseburger and not feel guilty. Yeah, well, I, yeah exactly. It's, <laughs> it's not about doing without. It's about burning more so you can have more insight. Um, so, I mean, talking a little bit about that, you know, if I think back to my view of fitness and the way it was portrayed in the 80s, it was, you know, Muscle Beach kind of that idea Obviously, marketing has played a role in changing the way that people see fitness and, and wellness. How do you think the role of marketing has changed over the course of your career? And, you know, do you have any thoughts on things that were awful or things that were great? Or, you know, are we moving in the right direction? Well, it, there has definitely been a lot of change and more in the last decade than in the first two and a half to three that I was been involved in. Some things have not changed. We still, the fitness industry, I say we, still lead with price. It's very price competitive. It's very much, you know, um, amenities focused. It is around convenience of location, all that. Some That still will exist, but it really needs to coexist less in the lead of that as far as why come to this club over another and really focus on what makes you unique, what is your message what's your purpose and what is your vision and you know how can we help you and really strike at the heart level not just oh it's this price point and this is what I get and I get to come into a space that has all this equipment well we we know the average person does the same thing most of the time when they come in so it's no longer just about that so I have seen the change but it's been slower than I have liked to see and People who know me know that I've been very outspoken around the marketing that we see, uh, you know, on the billboards or in the newspapers, in print and on social. And it always has been something that has bothered me to always be showing that fit, white, young, always a six pack. You know, that's not the average body or consumer of fitness today. So... The fitness industry has had so much success on that, but it's they're always fighting for the same 20% of the market. And that, yeah. that success has made them afraid to change and change. And, and many of the leaders are entrepreneurs. So when they change, it's like they want to make abrupt, like major changes. And I've always encouraged, well, they just slowly change. <laughs> yeah, you've seen like the, the investment and the spend and the profile of the industry has grown incredibly but the numbers of people participating I don't think have grown at the same you know because we still haven't um, well we still focus a lot on that commodity style approach to to brand marketing and and acquisition and um, but I think you know as we kind of talked before finding a way to democratize fitness so that it's welcoming and not elitist and you know we can say it's not elitist, but we we need to offer the services and the programs and the experience, like you talked about, to be able to bring those people in so it feels like a safe place. And and I think the opportunity um, that that we've kind of spoken about around what the pandemic has created for us to be able to have fitness now at home on your terms, or it doesn't even have to be at home, but the convenience factor has changed, and uh, and being able to. Uh, adapt to, you know, being able to um, almost the, 
what I might call the Amazon effect of I want to do it when I want, you know, how I want. I want to order it and get it now. And and I think that opportunity exists now. It's just whether we can mm-hmm. take advantage of it and bring it to the people. It's absolutely true. That Amazon example is absolutely perfect. And that is what's opening the doors for um, club operators to rethink what they want to be and how they want to serve. And some have done it really well and have navigated or or really moved quickly. Others haven't, and there's reasons for that. Um, Again, it's creating... The difference, I believe, will be once... You get, in, you get through that front door, and that's still going to be the hardest part. How do you get people to walk into your facility and, and learn about you? So that's where the brand that you create for the outside view is going to make it less challenging, perhaps, for that step through the archway of the front door. But once they're in, I have this is where I have seen changes that I really feel are positive and moving us forward. And that is, it's not around, oh, let me show you around the club and here's the price and join today. And if you do, then, you know, you get a discount, you have 24 hours. And oh, by the way, if you refer us three friends, you'll get the first month three free. Well, I haven't even tried your facility. It's like you're asking me to marry you and I haven't even dated. So I've always felt that it's been a bit backwards, but the style in which we get to know the prospect today has has evolved positively specifically for some facilities the ones that I know are doing it very well and very unique to their their brand that has changed but it's been slow and does the consumer really understand that they're going to be taken care of it's not going to be just a sales pitch they're going to be treated well taken care of and made to feel as comfortable as possible so that's where there is the positive change. How do we, however, tap into the market that isn't ready to walk through that front door? So question, well, we've mentioned this to you before. One of the things we like to do is sort of invoke the 10th voice when we, <laughs> when we chat. And I'm going to do that now if that's okay. You bet. Um, <clears throat> is the industry ready for that? So what you just talked about, you know, um, the hardest part is getting that individual to come in through the front door. You said this before, you mentioned sort of the, you know, the emotional, the wellness, the spiritual part of fit or fitness or well-being. I like well-being, but those aspects of it. The catalyst now for an individual to respond to an offer or to respond to making a change in their lifestyle like Mike did um, is different maybe than what it was before. Typically, it was always like, oh, I want to get in shape and I want the six pack or I need to lose some weight because I got to hit the beach this summer and I can't strap a Speedo on looking like this. And by the way, I'm, I don't strap Speedos on regardless. Quite a I haven't seen that yet. Right? So now just noodle that for a second. And okay. I'll apologize in advance for whatever images go flashing through your head. Viewer, you if you could only see what we see. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really glad I don't actually. It's good this is a podcast. Yeah. Um, right. Is the industry ready for that individual that comes in the door where they might be looking for more of a spiritual outlet or a guide or one that's more emotionally or more wellness baked as opposed to maybe the stereotypical fitness club, is the industry ready to accommodate those people and show them that full spectrum of of care like you mentioned? I absolutely believe the industry is ready ready because they have been, one, suffering as they've never imagined, and they too have lost 
their ability to feel their best. Because many of the owners themselves, it was against the law to even work out in your own facility during lockdown. So they, they have suffered, they've lost their health, many of them. They're not, they're, they don't have that fit, you know, and they take that for granted. People who are fit, they think it's easy. They think it's easy and they think that people who aren't, it's just they're lazy or they make mm. excuses. And, but now we've suffered together and we've lost the independence and freedom to go to a facility and to explore fitness. And then as a result, they've changed their approach. And I really do believe that the suffering is also emotional around the wellness piece. So they do want to offer that because they know that's the biggest epidemic coming is the wellness ill health part of it, the mental health part is going to be what is going to be the toughest for people to recover from or to move on from. So I do believe that those that have been engaged in the um, reinvention of the fitness industry, there's still going to be those few, I hope it's fewer than more, but that are going to try doing the same old, same old and expect different outcomes. But I do absolutely believe I've seen the change in people's brands. I absolutely know that the interview process is more of a motivational interview process, tapping into uh, not only what their desires are, what they're looking for, but what are the obstacles and what is it that, you know, so it's really getting to that emotional side. So I know that they're ready and I'm really um, glad to see it. And I've experienced it personally. I will say the prospect and the members have actually influenced fitness professionals to go there because they are the ones asking for it. They are the ones who are saying, I don't want to do that high intensity class anymore. Do you have more meditation classes? When's yoga starting? What's that room over there called Mind Den? I want to do that. And now clubs are even changing how they price their amenities so that those services can be part of the membership versus an add-on, which makes it an obstacle to sign up for it. And they're also introducing new programs, like the latest trends. You're not going to see HIT as the number one trend going forward. You're going to see mindfulness and wellness programs. Mm. So yes, we're seeing it. We know that we're ready for it and the consumer is demanding it. So if we don't provide it, someone else or another industry will. And I love what you just said about the fact that the industry suffered too, right? So I think it's important for, you know, either members or consumers that might look on the industry um, and just sort of hold them up maybe to an unrealistic expectation that they're fit and on all the time. And what you just said, I thought was really, I'd never really thought about it that way. But of course, the industry itself, the instructors, the owners, and everybody else, they went through the same thing that everybody else did. They suffered that same setback. They suffered that disruption to their routine, to their regimen, to the, to their journey, and to the program that they were on. They, too, had to find their way back to that. And at the same time, they had to satisfy their members or their customers that they were available for them to do that. It's like it's that two-sided that I don't think... I, I certainly didn't appreciate it until you just said it. And it's like, yeah, of, of course, my instructors, the ones that I rely on to create that journey for me, they have their own, and they also have to take care of mine. Yeah, right. Well, exactly. and I think, I think, yeah, I think an important part of that is, as someone who would go to one of the classes, that might be an hour or an hour and a half of your day, but for someone who lived and breathed that industry, that was 10, 12, 14 hours of your day. 
and it's gone. It's gone. So like the impact on that industry is really, yeah. really significant. Close to 40% of active fitness professionals are still out of work or not back to full capacity. And uh, it's anticipated, well, we saw it happen. I mean, just at CampFit Pro alone, we know that at least 2,000 fitness professionals that were active with CampFit Pro are no longer in the industry. Yeah. And I experienced it personally, right? So my wife owned a, a fitness studio that was a casualty of COVID. And yeah. it was, you know, partially time timing and partially just the fact it was group fitness, boutique fitness mm -hmm. classes, and yeah. it just, it couldn't work. Yep. And uh uh, but I think the, to your point, I think the opportunity is in front of us. And I think where I'd, I'd really like to, to kind of tackle is what is the opportunity? What, what do the fitness, what does the fitness industry need to do from a marketing perspective to kind of come out of this on the other side with a, an evolution, a new industry, kind of the, you know, how we've seen food service you know, or food delivery services explode and how you saw Airbnb come out of nowhere. And like, what is it that the fitness industry needs to do? Well, first of all, out of COVID, the fitness industry in every country has gotten together with each other. I mean, competitors before and still competitors, but actually working together. So that we saw, and that was really a, a beautiful thing. Um, it happened the week of March 2020, when we locked down, club owners got together and they actually shared their what they're going through and they helped each other and they have been. What what they need to do is they need to work more um, integrated and uh, work with the government. And that's the biggie. And although I don't like talking politics, I do say that if the fitness industry worked more of a collaborative front and got together and lobbied the government on how the government should see fitness and where to assign it, to, to put <laughs> fitness clubs in with nightclubs, bars, and restaurants is- Not even uh, close. Not even so. close. I, yeah. Let me ask you, I'm sorry to interrupt, but why doesn't the government subsidize gym memberships for people? That's been our, that's been our proposition for the last year and a half to make it tax deductible. Mm. We were, we got close and then there was an election and now mm. it's the same minority government. So we're just going to keep moving. But um, I have no idea because, it, I mean, they're making sports tax deductible for your kids. Yep. So an adult tax deduction, when it was a credit, it wasn't flying. But if we make it a deduction and now we have a new, so we have the Fitness Industry Council and it has been a small not-for-profit organization led by club operators and owners off the corner of their desk, volunteers, and really they can't make that their f focus. And yet during the pandemic, it needed to be a focus. And we needed to work collaboratively to get out in front of the provincial and federal representatives and educate them because that's what they think. They don't know fitness. It's, it's shocking. Even the health, the um, local health officials don't understand fitness, which I'm struggling to understand because they went to medical school. Um, I won't say anything more about that, but um, <laughs> they just want to fix it, check the box and move on. And so mm -hmm. if they did, more people, I think, would take it up. But um, back to the whole point, if, the if fitness clubs work more collaboratively and continue to work to have these conversations with their local officials and get that right back to a federal level, that would allow us to redefine how fitness serves Canadians 
health because we have a global health pandemic and it's going to become worse. And that, I mean, we think COVID's a pandemic. The ill health oh, yeah, is absolutely. a pandemic. So that's, we have to change that stereotype or that image. And then we also have to walk our talk and we need to change it from the way we operate. We also need to put the face out and the model of what wellness is or fitness is in really speak to our brand, like recreate our brand to really let people know what we true, how we truly serve. It isn't about get the best price. It isn't about, you know, sign up here and get this or whatever. It's more about how we can help you develop a lifestyle, you know, be able to live the way that you want to live and have the energy, the energy to, you know, play pickup ball with your mates on the weekend or, you know, hang out with your grandkids or be able to climb a mountain as your, you know, retirement plan to hike around the world. It's more about lifestyle than it is about a weight loss goal. So change what our messaging is. And that needs to be done by the boldest first so that the others will follow. But there is the fear about changing what has worked. Yeah. But again, we have to think bigger. We have to think not the same market, but the market that needs us that is now awake. Yeah, it's less about, you know, the end product of being this chiseled fit kind of trophy and as much as it is about the impact of just moving and what that can do for you both mentally and physically. I think it's, yeah, really crucial. Do you think the fitness industry is brave enough at the moment to show vulnerability? through marketing to change the narrative a little bit from what it's always been to, yeah, we're suffering too. Let's, you know, we have been, we've had to show our vulnerability during COVID to say what we are and what we are not and Mm -hmm. why we're not open and why we're opening under very strict, you know, very strict guidelines and why we still choose to when some provinces don't have to. And, um, you know, I'll use, Good life is an example. You know, we have the good life standard and it is the pillars of that standard are very strong and, and backed by, you know, specialists in the medical world to say, if you make sure that you have this much distancing and this much PPE and this much in terms of cleanliness and the ways you clean the club and you have those, um, during the day, you'll create that comfort by the members to know that this is a, a safe place to be. Mm-hmm. And if you follow the local health regulatory bodies, it doesn't mean that, you know, pro this, anti this. It just means follow what the health guidelines are. Then we know that we can be open to serve and that um, we can remain open so we can serve. So it it is, they are ready to do that because, you know, they have been. I, I, I haven't seen... Patch, David Patch Levins, or the presidents of any of these clubs on press releases where they haven't been emotional. Mm-hmm. I've seen, um, including myself, being on, in, in uh, interviews where we've shown great vulnerability. I haven't cried. I've cried more in the last 18 months in front of my staff or my members or the world mm-hmm. <laughs> on yeah. screen, getting emotional over the fact that we were able to bring... 2,500 people together virtually for a conference that was always in person for 27 years and get emotional about it. And people get closer. Mm -hmm. Members actually care more about each other and even care about the staff. Mm -hmm. So it feels like there's some momentum here. Like how do we, how do we 
capture that and keep it going? Yeah. Well, that's a great question. We have to remember what we've, what we have gone through and we have to keep that at top of mind when we see the other side and not just fall back into our old right. practices. And I truly believe the innovators, the ones that want to be here long-term, those that have educated themselves, not only with fitness and health, but with health and this, you know, understanding what this pandemic was about and that it will, there'll be something like this in the future. Those that have leveled up and really stepped in and really made themselves vulnerable to say, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. And I don't know if I'll be here next month, but please pay your membership because there's more chances that we will. And they want to pay. It's shocking. We put memberships on hold. There were certain clubs that said, I don't want you to put my membership on hold. I want to pay you because I want you to be here at the end. Just like you tip, you know, I go to a restaurant and we tip 50% or more. You know, I tip all my services. I never, I always thought you tip, but I never realized how important because if they're not there, we can't, you know, we can't get those services. You mentioned something about the industry working together more collectively recognizing, which is kind of counterintuitive when you talk about marketing, because usually marketing is about differentiating one brand over another. Um, but I'm wondering more and more if, if this is where the real opportunity is from a marketing perspective, because you're talking about the, the greater good almost. Like there's almost this, this purpose that's a little bit more important than just the drive of that individual brand or organization and you talked about momentum and whether or not is is anyone bold enough or or ready or brave enough to step up to that i'm wondering if maybe the answer to all those things is the industry kind of coming together it sounds like there's some bigger battles to fight such as government subsidies such as you know um a, a healthy individual getting a break from an insurance perspective, because they've invested in in taking care of themselves mm-hmm. so that they're going to be less of a draw on the system later in life because they're creating a, a greater outcome. Like, is the answer to going where the industry needs to go? And frankly, it sounds like, Mo, they want to go and the members want them to go there because they want to go with them. What's the, Tina Fey? I want to go to there. So they want to go to there too, right? Is it is it an industry wide calling? And maybe maybe marketing needs to ladder up, and 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 start tackling the industry like that, where all those brands weigh in with each other mm-hmm. and and have a louder voice and maybe have more of an impact. I feel that I, I've witnessed it happen, although we. I have also witnessed that uh, operators fall back on their own what's in it for me and they become a little bit cautious, but it seems that when, when the crisis rallies up again, they come back together. When it starts to get more comfortable, they go back to what was or their own world and they get back into their little competitiveness and I'm going to keep this to myself. But overall, the biggest players, at least in the Canadian, and I see this happened in other countries, the biggest players or influencers in the industry are willing to work together and are actually speaking together and they're going together. And it's just finding that strong leader within that organization like the fitness industry council to hold the standards and values of the industry of the fitness industry council and the ones that don't follow the rules 
they are there's ramifications and that's been the weakness in the past that if somebody goes rogue nobody does anything or says anything it's about holding everyone accountable to what we agree to and if we work together collectively for the common good that will put us in a better position if next time there is ever the you know ever to be i hope not um closer closures or consideration of closing fitness clubs that because of the collective efforts they'll rethink how they position the fitness industry and they'll see it as a necessary or essential service mm, yeah and I, I i really like that and i think there's something there I, I feel like the model may have been broken or going down a path where it was broken because it was a commodity like you said commodity price based not really around I the experience that. and the opportunity now is we create an industry that's healthy and if the industry is healthy then all clubs have an equal opportunity to survive and thrive. And that really, I think, comes from making it um, a more important part at the government level, at the personal level, at the corporate level, um, because a healthier community becomes healthier workforce, healthier kids, healthier parents, all those things. And I think that is the opportunity coming out of this is, like you said, is to rally together and say, we actually don't need healthy businesses, your business it's not about competition. It's about a healthy industry, and that will breed healthy businesses. And I, I'd love to add that the next generation will see fitness as part of their daily health routine. Like it is, you wear your seatbelt, you brush your teeth, you know, you mm -hmm. wear your mask, take your vitamins, you wear <laughs> your mask, you respect people, uh, you have your opinions, yet you have to understand what's good for the community and not just your own business or yourself. Yeah, I, I'm excited about that. So, you know, we talked a little bit about people's personal brands. You have a very strong one, of course. Thank um, you. But I, I feel like it hasn't, and maybe this has just been my, you know, lack of awareness of the fitness industry in my youth, um, go, going back a little ways. Um, how has that changed since you started your career? Like that seems like a fairly new thing to yeah. me to have this personal brand, this idea of, you know, you gotta be on Insta, you gotta be, have your website, yeah. gotta do all these things. When did all that start for you and, and what was that like? Well, for myself, I was recommended to build my own brand decades ago and I was always afraid because I felt like, I'm one, I didn't see myself as a brand, quite honestly. I saw myself as an influencer but within an organization and as a, you know, entrepreneur, although I have my desires to be an entrepreneur were always there, it was like I was afraid or I was told that there was only um, a few places within the organization for the voice or the face. Mm -hmm. And I was um, given that privilege of being the voice and the face and the leader for group fitness. So within a pillar of our offering, mm -hmm. I always felt like there was more. And um, through great teachers and mentors and the interviews that I was in, people would say, well, why don't you write a story? And can I publish that? And I thought, oh, well, maybe there's more to it. Mm -hmm. And it was through the opportunities to speak and to travel and share my story, I realized, okay, there's something here and I need to actually build it out so more people can understand who I am and how I serve so that they can perhaps align with my uh, vision. And, and my vision is to help 
move people forward and be bold and live their dreams out and become, you know, important parts of the healthcare system as fitness professionals. So it was probably over the last 10 years I've slowly worked at it part-time, but I decided to invest in someone who would help me with my marketing, Mm -hmm. my website, my social media, and and they've really helped through data, you know, collecting data on who follows me and why that Mm -hmm. I've become much clearer on who I serve. And that has made it really clear and easier for me to know when I do have time to tap into putting myself out there and helping others, I know who I'm helping, how I'm helping. I definitely know why I'm doing it. And that's, that's why I I like to work all the time because I'm passionate, but, um, it's just, and it's something that I understand too, that in this new world of marketing, you don't just show up for your fitness class and expect the class to be full. Mm-hmm. You're responsible to fill your own class. Yeah, You're responsible yeah. for attracting the market to you. Mm-hmm. And that is part of your role now as a member of a team at a club. And on the other side, from a business perspective, clubs that are really rocking it are the ones that are building internal rock stars. Right. I think there's something really important here that is so relevant, not to just us and brands, but even to that, I'll call it that younger generation of who want to be Insta famous Mm -hmm. is that you don't, you know, if you want to be an influencer, you don't do, you don't become an influencer just to feed your own ego. You might, but that's not, that's not what it's for. Like if you really want to make a difference, what you, the, the, the difference that you said there is that you created a brand not to feed your own ego. You created a brand to feed, to, to be able to serve those that benefited from what you deliver. Right. So so you can serve more people like Mike and more people like who can benefit from you. And that's where you get your charge. And I think the influencer industry is actually super broken right now because there's not enough people taking that approach that I want to be insta-famous or I want to be an influencer so that I can help serve people and make the pl- this planet and this in- community and this environment that we're in a better place and 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 strengthen our industry and I think so many brands could benefit from taking this approach that I want to have influencers but I'm going to have these influencers that are going to serve my customers as part of that customer journey and that brand experience and I think yeah. it's such a you know uh, we won't go tell people how old we are here but there's a lot of generations that could benefit mm-hmm. from that you know and that is just a strategy that people should be using yeah. when you talk about how to truly use influencers to to market your brand. Oh, I love that. I always feel that, you know, if you just focus on yourself, you go fast, but when you focus on others and you build a team or you help lift others up, you can go much further. And part, you know, I know what my legacy is. I know that I want to look back on the fitness industry and be really proud of the fact that fitness professionals are that. They're recognized and respected like any other member of the allied health team. And I always believed in team. Back to my story, I wanted to be on the team. Mm -hmm. I always felt like when you were part of something, you could go far and you could really reap the experiences, whether it's to win, you know, win the game or win the league or win, you know, make it to the top or you know, reach your final destination, whatever that is, you can't do it alone. And, and yeah, I get caught up in looking on social media and going, oh, wow, look at that. And they're doing this, but it's always self-focused. And, and my brand is definitely not. People follow me because I create a community 
I help them with their personal development. I help attract a market that feels comfortable and they're, you know, women that want to feel better inside and out. They're 50 and older and I'm really proud of that because that community doesn't get the attention in traditional marketing, Mm -hmm. especially in my field. You know, it's always the 20-something-year-olds, but I love working with them too. I Mm. want the 20-something-year-olds to look up there on the stage and see that trainer, instructor, and go, wow, they can be that confident and that more about confidence than fitness, Mm -hmm. but they can be so bold and, and be that passionate and do that as a career, I want to be like that. It's got to be satisfying though when you're up there teaching a class and you see that 20-something out there who thinks they're all that and you're kicking their ass. You bet. And you're like, yeah, that's right. And then I love it when the 80-year-olds come to my class and they come up to me and they want to hug me and say, thank you because I can live by myself because of this class. That's awesome. You've saved my life and I like, oh. Yeah, but that's because you're genuine. So, I mean, we knew this about you before we had the chance to, to chat today, but like everything you're talking about is like just the journey that you two had, like the fact that, you know, 12 and a half years about later, yeah, like you that. are still so enamored with how I like, think about the impact you've had on, on our friend's journey here. And I, I can only think of the thousands of people that you've had that impact on, but that's because your brand is genuine. That's because you actually deliver what the hype says. You actually deliver what you say you're going to do. And that's not, A, I think that's really important, Jeff, back to your point on influencers where there's too much self-serving going on there and not enough genuine, I'm actually doing this because you're going to love this. Like you're going to get so much value from this and I want you to have that. So I'm advocating on behalf of this because I believe in it too. Brands need to like wake up a little bit and recognize like real loyalty, real advocacy, all of those things that are actually tangible revenue generating like components of a successful business. It starts with how genuine are you about what that purpose is and what it is that you're trying to do. And you're living proof that like that is not only a good business model, but boy, does that have like a lasting effect on, on the people that buy into that brand because it's self-fulfilling over and over and over again. Absolutely. Yeah, and it builds, that's a fabulous way to build the rapport, especially for people that you're a great example. You know, with Kyla, she's like, come try this class because I had built, you know, she had built that rapport with the class and Mm -hmm. I with her and, um, and therefore she was super comfortable taking her BFF and saying, trust me, whereas that's not the case, you know, typically, but that's what we want to create. And Mm -hmm. again, it's just that for marketing to get them through the front door so that they can experience it because that's the part that has changed. And that's why I'm very excited to see what the industry is doing and the leaders are definitely doing it. And if they're doing it, you know, and they stay true to that plan, that intention, then those that follow will want to rise to do the same thing. And that's how the whole industry will keep moving forward. I can't wait. Yeah. And an industry that takes care of each other, like, wow, is that ever great for the consumer, right? So, because mm-hmm. I mean, I think, you know, there are always those practical realities of trying to run a business. And I mean, at the end of the day, there are businesses involved with standing up this industry. And sometimes the best of intentions still doesn't 
cut payroll, right? So um, there's always some practical realities and considerations, but like how amazing would that be if the gym across the street doesn't rejoice in you closing, but walks across the street and says, hey, we, we could do this together. How can we help stand this up? Because if you go under, there's people that are left without the outlet they need. They don't have a place to go anymore. We can't let that happen. Oh, I'm uh, just, you know, like, how do we make that happen? I remember the first time I received my first bonus and it was back, back in the early nineties. And it was because a studio closed here in London and I had the relationships with the instructors. So I recruited every instructor that wanted to still work, mm. which was all but the owner. And of course, who followed all the members. And it was like, and I actually have to give Patch credit because he wanted, his first thing was go help them find a new place to teach because he understood the passion that instructors had. He also wanted to have them work for a good life because they are great, but it wasn't so much, if I really think about it, it wasn't so much, yes, that big popular aerobic studio is closed and we're mm -hmm. going to get all the members. It was more like, let's go build relationships. Mm -hmm. But typically it would be that, oh, yeah, you know, you rejoice because someone's closed that means more for me. But uh, this year, I can tell you, I, I saw it happen in front of my eyes. Clubs in British Columbia, owners or operators calling clubs in Quebec and saying, we got this with the government or this happened, let me help you. Or mm. how can I help? And we'd get on each other's provincial calls and they would share their secrets and mm -hmm. their best, you know, strategies oh, and they would actually can get you know share condolences and victories right so i'm not saying everyone there was definitely sure. the groups that went off on their own and did the opposite but they were small and they didn't last mm -hmm. right well let's hope that stays so just looking at the time here one last kind of thing i'd, I'd love to hear from you you know we've talked a little bit about the future the industry what's What's next for Mo? What's what's on the horizon? What do you what do you have your sights set on? Oh, good question. Well, uh, my sights are set on filling, uh, checking a few uh, destinations off my travel list where I can uh, break mm. through into some markets and countries that don't uh, have fitness or allow women in fitness. So, mm. my trip to Saudi Arabia was one month to the day that we shut down in Canada. Right. And that trip was postponed for what was supposed to be six months, then a year, and has not been rebooked. Mm -hmm. So um, I do have a fair amount of travel still to speak at conventions and to share really about how to build your personal personal branding and, and your leadership mm -hmm. role, like really help them find where they fit as up-and-coming leaders and those who've been in the industry a long time to help them reinvent themselves to be the um, guides or the mentors for the future fitness professionals. Um, one of my other bucket lists is to really write the story of CamFit Pro because CamFit Pro is 28 years old and other than an editorial, very few people hmm. know the story of CamFit Pro that started as a funny little project, not funny, it was funny how it happened, but mm. it started as a side project off my desk and it was supposed to be, yeah, well, let's just run a conference and help train new fitness instructors and let's start personal training and get that going and let's just fulfill the needs for the next year or two and that'll be great. And I said, okay. And, and I used to ask <laughs> Patch all the time, all right, it's year five. Why are we doing this? Because it's fun. Oh, right. 
you know, <laughs> a lot of work, but fun. And here we are 28 years later. So by, by the 30th year, I want to be standing back on the stage in front of the five to 10,000 fitness professionals that will right. be coming together at the Metro Toronto Convention Center and celebrating 30 years of an organization that has helped to create hundreds of thousands of fitness professional careers and to redefine what the future career looks like and is for fitness professionals. Well, I think there's, there's something more to that too, you know, that, you know, knowing you and your personality, um, is that that created an industry and it legitimized an industry. So it's not just created jobs, not just, you know, something off the side of your desk. It created this legitimate industry where anyone before that, 29 years ago, anyone could have said they were a fitness instructor. That's right. And now you can't just do that. And it's created governance and it's created a better product. And so I think there's, there's a lot more kind of to pat yourself yeah. on the back, which I know is not your style. Um, but, uh, but I do, I do think more that's... More like a victory it's, pose. Yeah, it's really, <laughs> it's for everybody, yeah. really. And you said that governance, we're self-governed and that's how we'd like to stay. And it is up to every single one of us to expect that standard for ourselves. And it does require reminding from time to time, as CamFit Pro does, is to remind everyone the value of being a fitness professional and the responsibility that you have with that power, because we have people's lives in our hands. So it is a, it's a big opportunity and I'm very excited for what's going to be happening in the next two years. And uh, yeah, so I'm going for that two year goal because so much is going to change and a few trips or many in between. That's awesome. Yeah, it's not, let's also not forget that hundreds of thousands of professionals, but like millions of Canadians in this case that have actually, you've enabled to live a better, healthier life, right? And that are getting value out of it. And 28 years ago, there are people, there are people walking now that 28 years ago, had they not started this journey, would probably be walking a little less capably or a little less comfortably or they'd be dead, or they'd be yeah. dead right mm -hmm. so like let's not kid ourselves like we're talking about an industry that actually enables a healthier lifestyle and just by the extension of that like you've saved lives right mm -hmm. this industry has actually saved lives and i don't think that's i don't think that's reaching too far to to go out there on a limb and say that so oh uh, yeah that's why jillian michaels was so in it because she was just said it how it was and mm -hmm. she made people go what yeah you know and because of that they paid attention to her and she yep. was able to create a wicked brand yep. so fast yep. well, so fast man that was awesome yeah hey? wow so much energy she's so inspiring and motivating but so down to earth it's a kind of a rare combination in, in a personality yeah she, i feel we could all use a little mo mo a little oh, mo mo good in, our, in our lives. Yeah, she's such a genuine character too. I was really excited, Mike, when you um, when you recommended it. Um, just because I, I do think that's probably one industry, well, one that we all have some very intimate experience with. But you know, you, you've seen that industry suffer, and and we as individuals have seen it suffer as our waistlines have grown like over the, yes. the course of the pandemic and appreciated in a variety of different ways like what happens when we don't have access maybe to something we took for granted or didn't fully appreciate and just the way she spoke about it how genuine she was and you know i love what she said about like when you were talking about influencers being self-serving i don't know that there's a self-serving bone in this 
person's yeah. body. Like yeah. she just seems to have given herself completely to the cause, so to speak. Um, she's all about trying to pass that wealth and that health um, on to everybody else. I just think she's dynamic. Well, and I think that's an industry that has succeeded for all the wrong reasons. Like all mm. the, like, you know, from what? self-serving reasons. All the self-serving maybe. infomercials and stuff mm-hmm. that is taking advantage of, frankly, taking advantage of consumers and consumerism. And now that it, they kind of got called on it and mm-hmm. the the strong and the people with the, the or the organizations with the right, um, I guess, why behind their brand are what's going to succeed. And I think yeah. it's awesome for the industry. It should come out of it stronger if they do it right. Yeah, no, absolutely. She's a fantastic person. When the, when the pandemic first started, she started running Zoom classes out of her house. And I mean, we couldn't get the audio right. We couldn't get anything right. But the people that used to go to her classes would, would tune into these Zoom classes. And it wasn't, at least I don't think it was like officially sanctioned by good life at the time. It was just like, well, we got to keep our community strong. And it, you know, she didn't make a dime. It was her own time that she it was, was for the but people. It was, yeah. yeah it, it's just amazing. And we tuned in all the time. Like that's, I hope this is an industry that when you think about it, like so many industries have had to, you know, disruption or pivot to many industries was, well, just do it on zoom. Right. It was just sort of trying to shift the traditional model into zoom, but they never really, never really took the leap because it was always viewed as, well, we'll do this for now mm-hmm. until we can get back at it. And what I heard today, and while what we've seen with with Mo and others is, yeah, no, we actually don't, we can't go back to the way it was before. Like this is maybe an industry that's going to come out the other side, maybe way different for the better, totally evolved because it's learned from, it's learned from the experience. And maybe this industry, unlike others, what she said about um, like instructors and owners feeling the same impact that we did because they couldn't mm-hmm. they couldn't access their own facilities or they couldn't keep up with their own journeys or their own programs, and then all of a sudden having to try to be there for everybody else that was looking for them to be there. Like I hadn't really thought about it that way. Maybe that's one of those catalysts, which is like Jesus, we can't go back to the way this was before. We've got to be a different there's got to be a different purpose and there's, it's got to be bigger than just six packs and going to the beach. Well, similar, you know, similar to kind of the retail industry that at some point we're going to talk, uh, talk about too, is that, you know, this has forced shitty retail to go away. And, you know, maybe this mm. whole pandemic has forced shitty fitness to go away. Oh, right. yeah. And now we're going to have a better product and a better product, you know, it ultimately, uh, if the brand can can really harness it, it means a stronger industry. Well, it makes it means a, it means stronger communities. It means you know stronger like general public and like fair to call out the government piece today because like I don't know how you have this conversation without one way or another saying what the fuck are you guys doing? Yeah. Like how can you not appreciate that this is a little <laughs> bit more than someone going to the gym and and doing a spin class for half an hour. Like, yeah. No, the implications I've, are huge. I've never understood how, and my, my personal thought on this, I've had many rants about this. I don't know if you know this about me, but I rant at times. Just stop it. <laughs> it's in your name. <laughs> it's a good that's rant. Well, it's it's very well played. Well played, sir. Well, that's a personal brand right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know what really grinds my gears? <laughs> um, 
is not just, you know, give a discount for a gym membership, but honestly, like track somebody going to the gym, track their progress, like incentivize the taxes they pay based on the progress they make. Because ultimately, you know, it's a lot cheaper to give somebody $200 a year off their taxes than it is to put $100,000 into their heart disease treatment. Yeah, or, absolutely. Or obese, like it, it just seems so logical to me, yet we don't. I haven't found a way to do well, it. Well, some corporations, those leading corporations, do you remember when we were at that conference, um, at that How I Built This conference in yeah. San Francisco, and Fitbit was mm-hmm. talking about how they were working with, I believe it was, uh, I'm not going to say the, the brand name, um, but that they were now reducing their premiums on their health, their third-party health insurance significantly if you, they were giving Fitbits out to their employees, yep. this company. Who put them on their dogs. Who put them on their dogs, yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but they were giving them out so that they could um, monitor what they were doing. And based on those results, their health premiums, health insurance premiums went down. You know, and it's... It's kind of the same concept of the thing that the car insurance company is always trying right. to tell me. Let me put a little monitor in your car. And I'm like, right. not a fucking chance. Right, because then they know how fast you drive <laughs> and how hard you brake. <laughs> no Cause, way. Because the flip side of that is like, Mr. Grant, yeah, I'm sorry, your premiums are going up a yeah, lot. A daily, yeah. A lot. But yeah, I think there's, it's that whole concept of, um, so you're talking about user-based insurance on your car. I think insurance companies have been talking forever, certainly in the United States, you know, where um, health insurance comes at a premium cost, but, you know, where it's life insurance for us, right? So, and it's been in place like for smoking, for example. Like if you're a smoker, you pay a higher premium on your life insurance because you should, Mm -hmm. frankly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But in the same regard, like if you've been able to demonstrate and whether it's the Fitbit on the dog or some other mechanism to say like, look, I go to the gym three times a week or I... You know, I, I go to a mindfulness class or I go to meditation or I do yoga. Um, you know, nutrition is, is such a huge part of, of this now because, you know, it's the saying, you can't run away from a bad diet, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so there's all of those things that come together. Like, I love the fact that mental health is now a very open conversation that we have when we talk about fitness and everything else. I think it does. It has to be more than just a free T-shirt and a gimmick. Mm-hmm. to get people in the front door. It's got to actually mean something. And to do that, I th- there has to be more there than just access for a fee. I do really like free T-shirts, so I will say that. I've got a couple people, that people you can do have. I'm a, actually, yeah. I don't know if you guys know this about me. I'm a complete sucker for a free T-shirt. Are you really? <laughs> I am. Ever since I went to Comdex back in the 90s, where <laughs> gotta were, get, every gotta booth get. would give out a free T-shirt, and I had like no money. I love free T-shirts. So we gotta, we gotta design a shirt for Mike, Michael G. Rant. <laughs> Michael G. Michael Rant. Michael G.'s Rant. Yeah, no, your middle initial is now G, and your last name is Rant. Fuck, that's a book right there. I love it. Yeah, listen, Mo was great today, guys. I think there's a bigger discussion there, um, but I also I love I love the the implications from a brand and from a marketing perspective because you're talking about consumer behavior you're talking about what motivates someone to do something and what i love about it is not just to do something once right so the the key for us from a marketing perspective is how do we get someone to do something that they want to do because they want to do it over and over and over again right and i think to do that the brand needs to be genuine it needs to be real Mm -hmm. it's got to be around and it's got to be able to satisfy all kinds of different 
indicators yeah. for that person. And yeah. I think this is an industry that could potentially do that. Maybe better than a lot of the typical industries we talk about that are succeeding from a brand perspective. But I do think it'll be the industry that does it, not an individual brand. Yeah. Maybe one Great. brand leads, yeah. right? And we, I mean, Mo is one of them for sure. And there are a few other characters that we talked about, but... I, I agree with you. I don't think you can do it one studio or one business or one person at a time. They've got to find a way to do it at scale. Be interesting discussion to see if that theme plays out elsewhere. Like where, what other industries would benefit? And by that, I mean, would the consumer's relationship with that industry and those products or services get better if it was more of a combined collaborative approach to raising the bar for what good looks like there, mm -hmm. right? Because I think what Mo started to talk about was what good looks like in this industry. Mm -hmm. yeah. And there are pieces of good, but then there are pieces that haven't quite leveled up yet. Mm -hmm. I think what good looks like in this industry is when that industry comes together. Yeah. Might be a worth, like a useful model for other industries too. Mm -hmm. Speaking of what good looks like, I would like to say hello to Muskoka Breweries <laughs> and their delicious detour beer. A shameless plug. If you're listening. From Michael G. Rant. I will send you my address. <laughs> send me beer. Because that's the last one, by the way. But what a last beer to have. Muskoka Detour. Uh, awesome. It's the only beer I've seen you have, actually. It is, actually. It's proudly independent and crafted in Muskoka. I love the, uh, the write-ups on the back of these brands. Yeah. Yeah, One of the first, well, you're a scotch drinker. Both of you guys are whiskey I drinkers. I used, I love the Glenmorangie bottle and the back of the, the back of the the story or the legacy behind it because that whiskey is handcrafted by the 16 men of Tain. <laughs> I don't know where Tain is. I don't know who these 16 men are, but I really want to know who they are. I feel like we should do our next podcast from Tain. There we go. We could be the three men in Tain. On the record, on the road. <laughs> in Tain. Searching, searching for the Today's 16 Today's guest, men. the 16 men of Tain. <laughs> uh, I just love the background behind it. As long uh, as we go to the Ardbeg uh, distillery as well. Yeah, I got to get a bottle of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want you to try the Ardbeg Scorch. Absolutely delicious. This is in the, uh, the burnt barrels? This is the burnt barrels. Heavily, I think they say heavily scorched barrels. Okay. It's delicious. Also, if you're listening, Ardbeg distilleries. I'll Jesus. send you Jesus. my address. So I've, I've also a big fan of BMWs. <laughs> BMW, if you're listening. Now you've gone too far. <laughs> now you've gone too far. All right, before we get ourselves into any copyright troubles or issues, <laughs> thanks to Mike's shameless promotion in search of free beer, whiskey, and now finally, finally crafted German road sedans. That's right. That was a great discussion, guys. That was. Awesome. Yep. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, for anybody that's listening, please check out Mohagen's website at mohagen.com. If you like what you heard and or have some thoughts you'd like to share, please do so at podcast at tmd.ca. All of TMD's podcasts and any other content you might find helpful and useful can be found at tmd.ca. Looking forward to next time. Thank you, folks. Thank you.